Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. This morning I wanted to talk about the power of smell. It might be interesting for us to look at. I don't know about you, but I, uh, when I open a new packet of coffee or whatever, you know, we, we, we love the smell, you know. It's just the best smell, isn't it? And smell is, smell is evocative. Uh, I, whenever, I, whenever I smell a coal fire burning in a damp day, it reminds me of Belfast, Northern Ireland. It takes me, it takes me back. So actually, they say that the only sense that you, is fully developed in the womb is smell. It's fascinating. You know, smell and emotion are stored up until you're about 10 as one memory. So often, uh, there was a, they call it the, uh, the Proust phenomenon. The, he, he, uh, Marcel Proust took a bite of a Maidelin biscuit, then dipped it in linden tea, and was suddenly transported to a long-forgotten moment in his childhood. That smell is one of these things that really does work deep within us, and it triggers something in our memory. Uh, I, I, can walk, I can walk by someone trimming a hedge, a privet hedge in England, and the smell of it will remind me of being on holiday when I was five in Newcastle, and I was walking along, and I even know that the hedge was on my right. You know, as a, as a five-year-old, I remember the smell of it. So smell is this kind of this evocative thing. Numerous studies have shown that our memories triggered by odors uh, feel much more emotional. They activate our neurobiological substrates of emotional processing and that people are more brought back to the original time and place of their memories compared to the same events memorized through other things. So smell is this powerful thing. And then obviously there's like the smell of cut grass. I love that smell. You know, I hate the smell of that green stuff that you put on, what is it? The, uh, oh, it's like a herb not parsley, coriander, oh my goodness. I, I just don't like it. I do not like that smell whatsoever. So it triggers something in me. Some people love coriander, sorry if you're... My wife, when she was young, Tracy, their family, uh, she had a pet sheep, a lamb called Fred. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and she came home one day and she said to her mum, where's Fred? And they went, oh, you're eating him. We've cooked him for dinner. Her dad was a farmer, so you know, they, they had a little less connection to it. But, and since then, I mean, that's, I think that's cruel, if I'm honest. But since then, the smell of lamb, she just can't eat it, and it just takes her back to Fred, galloping in a meadow, I suppose. <laughs> Poor little cooked Fred. And uh, <laughs> I love lamb, so basically, we don't eat lamb at home, and uh, it's because the power of smell. I don't know about you, but back in the UK, we, at Christmas, we, our grandparents and our aunties used to always buy us aftershave or perfume when we were young that was really, really rubbish. <laughs> I, I don't know if that happens here. There were, I've, got some old, I've got some pictures of some of the best that we have to offer back in the UK. There was, we had brutes, and it was this smell, we had old spice. We had higher karate, which I looked at some of the advertisements from the 70s for higher karate. It wouldn't happen today. You would not be able to do them. They had like a, a lady's perfume called Tramp, which what on earth? And there was one called Charlie, which I don't know, I guess it's either a, a reference to cocaine or Charlie's Angels, one or the other. Panache or, or uh, there, was, there was another, uh, there was an aftershave called Denim. 
Who honestly wants the smell of denim? You know, so there's these kind, there's this smell. There's a, we like to smell good, I suppose. I, I didn't realize other people don't do this, but every night before I go to bed, I put aftershave on. I just, I don't like that, I, I hate that bed smell. I don't like smelling. So, and, and so while I was away with some other guys from 24 7 Prayer, and I said, Brian, what are you doing? And I was like, doesn't everyone do this? Just put, <laughs> put a little aftershave on before you go to bed. It's not even just because I'm with Tracy. I just like to put, I like to smell nice. And if I go to somewhere new and I'm uncomfortable, I'll spray the pillow and everything. <laughs> I'm just taking you into my inner world. So that, that I like nice smells. And, and you, what I've noticed, this cheap stuff, it wears off. So the expensive stuff lasts. And my, my question really this morning is, does God smell? But we read that actually God does have a sense of smell. He does smell. In Genesis 8, verse 21, after Noah has you know, come out of the ark, the, the, it says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 28, There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. When God tells them that man-made gods, idols, can't smell, he possibly reveals that he can. Psalm 115, I'm going to walk you through some scriptures here, guys. So, you know, but Psalm 115, verse 3 to 6, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. God can smell. I'm not trying to just create some sort of weird anthropomorphism where I put something onto God that is just a human attribute, but it would sense that as we look that God smells. And the question I'm, I'm asking myself is why? And Psalm 141, I think, probably answers this for us. Verse 1 to 2. I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when people pray. Revelation 5, verse 8. And when he had taken it, this is right at the end of the Bible, when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Which are the prayers of God's people. And my question this morning is, how, do we, how does God receive our smell? When it often comes through in both prayer and worship. I find it very hard to distinguish between prayer and worship, because when was a psalm a song, and when was a psalm a prayer? It's, it's hard to tell, isn't it? And so there's something beautiful about God's bride coming and praying and worshiping. It rises to him like incense. That every time we pray, it somehow ends up in that bowl in heaven, the prayers of the saints. That's why I think that prayer is a beautiful thing. The night and day prayer is a beautiful thing because we keep, it keeps going up to heaven. It does something. It touches the heart of God. You know, when we sing that, you, you are worthy, worthy of all, night and day, day and night, let incense arise. For me, that's, that's my job. That's what I love to do. I love to go around and help people pray and to see 
people praying more because there's something beautiful about the incense arising, going up to heaven, touching the Father's heart. He's looking for a praying people, a people who will not stop in letting that incense arise. God loves the scent of our prayer and our worship. So, you know, for me, it's always the whole thing when you talk about prayer. It's always, it can be a little bit guilt-ridden. I don't do it enough. But the reality is that prayer is you sending incense up to the Father in heaven. This conversation that you have of a God who smiles at you, a God who looks at you and whose primary expression towards you is a smile. And when you pray, it's like incense arises. And he's like, I remember. I know who they are. It evokes something in heaven every time we pray. It's like he breathes in and he's like, ah, there's my people praying, worshiping, calling out to me. It does, it genuinely moves the Father's heart to hear both a person singing and a person praying. And I don't think he, you know, because some of us can't really sing anyway. Not not well. So I don't think he knows the difference sometimes. He just receives it all as a beautiful offering from his people. And it says in Leviticus 2, verse 2, the priest shall take a handful of the flour and the oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So we, if we look back in the Old Testament, we see that they burn incense a lot. And it's like an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. And when we pray and when we worship, it's like this aroma that is pleasing to the Lord. In fact, if you, you know, he doesn't need it. That's the thing. God doesn't need it. He just loves it. He loves it. And if you were to read Exodus 30, all of it, it's a beautiful chapter. It can, you, know, you could think it's a little bit boring, but it, it's good. And it talks about like uh, making an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. There's over 20 mentions of incense in Exodus. And verses 25 to 29 say this, And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stands. You shall consecrate them and that they may be most holy. Whoever Touches them will become holy. Can I just say, if you went anywhere near the temple, you would have smelt it. There was something about the smell. Incense is this link between worship and prayer. It's also this link between atonement and salvation. When they burn incense with the sacrifice of atonement, they, or when they sacrificed grain, or when they sacrificed a pigeon, or when there was a time where, where any time something was sacrificed, incense also went up symbolic of our worship and our praise. In fact, when you read the book of Kings, uh, you, know, you will see that from Solomon onwards, the, the kings sinned when they burnt incense to the wrong gods. Two Kings 23 to 5, talking about the reformer, King Josiah. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts, he he got rid of them. It's interesting. Who or what do we burn incense to? 
Who do I worship? The question today would be, what do we worship? Maybe not who, because <laughs> most of the things that we worship aren't real. They're idols there. They can't give us what God can give us. They can't do for us what God can do for us. We end up worshipping the created and not the creator. I, we used to live in Ibiza, as I said, and Ibiza is an island in Spain. It's 20 square kilometers. And one of the things about Ibiza is the sunset. It's the sunset. People go to watch the sunset. Cafe Mambo. It's a beautiful, look it up, it's a beautiful thing. And there's a DJ in the background playing some chilled ambient music. And, you know, everyone's sitting and it's, it's, it's like picturesque. It's beautiful. And the sun sets in and it's kind of like Adagio on strings playing with a little beat behind it. And it's like, and at the end of when the sun sets, do you know what happens is people applaud, they clap. And this is like, these are people who I would say, you're not your average churchgoers. Mainly, there's a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol involved, but people clap when the sun, and it's, it's like they're almost worshiping the sun, but we worship the creator behind creation. We're not involved in some sort of pantheism. We're involved in that idea of like, we worship someone who be, is behind. Creation should always point to God, but we don't worship creation in and of itself. But there is something in people that's born to worship, drawn to something, that the sun sets and there's something in a human that's like, I don't know what to do. I've just seen something beautiful, something fantastic. I'll clap and the sun will hear my clapping and it will smile on me tomorrow. I don't know, but there's something that moves us when we see something beautiful. And so there, this, this idea of prayer and worship of night and day prayer is that we, we send this beautiful incense up, not because of creation, but we worship the creator behind creator, creation. God is revealed to us in creation, but God is also revealed to us in Jesus. And if we were to look at a beautiful moment of smell in the Bible, we'd do well to look at Mark 14. Uh, this is the story of the lady who broke a jar of perfume over Jesus' feet. And it says this, While he was in Bethany, this is Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Just to be clear, this story is talked about in all four gospels. When something is talked about in all four gospels, it's worth paying attention. I mean, we should pay attention if it's only mentioned once, by the way, but there's a strong emphasis here that this comes in four times. And this, this nard <laughs> that was broken was... Uh, like 25,000 pounds worth of perfume, like maybe 20, 27, something like that. I'm not gonna get caught up on exchange rates here, but like <laughs> pounds, I don't know how that goes into Australian dollars, but, 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 but a lot of money. 
And the idea that she broke the jar, do you know that the Jewish scribes, when they used to write the name of God, they would break the pen and throw it away afterwards. Every time they wrote Yahweh, they'd break it, throw it away, get a new one. But there is, there's, the fact that she broke this jar was that no one else deserves this, only he deserves it. And she breaks this jar and, it, and puts this perfume on Jesus and it's way more than necessary. Way more than necessary. In fact, my friend Johannes Hartel, he calls this a beautiful waste. A beautiful waste. He says we should pray way more than necessary. It's a beautiful waste. There's, there's other things you could waste your life on, but praying and worshiping Jesus, it's a beautiful waste. There, uh, William Barclay talks about a, an old Scottish preacher called Struthers of Greenock, and uh, he said it was a bonny thing that she did, a bonny thing. And actually, the, the, the word, there's two words for, uh, for this. this uh, there are two words for good. This was a good thing. One is there's agathos, which describes the thing which is morally good. And there is kalos, K-A-L-O-S, which describes a thing which is not only good, but lovely. It's not only good, but lovely. A thing might be agathos, yet be hard, stern, austere, unattractive. But a thing which is kalos is winsome and lovely, with a certain bloom of charm upon it, says Barclay. And so there's something about prayer that has a certain bloom of charm upon it. That when we come to worship, when we come to pray, this, this beautiful thing happens. And she, this woman, does this beautiful waste. She breaks this <laughs> over him. And do you know, interestingly, that they say that when Christ went to the cross, he would have still smelt of nard. Every time the apostles called a hint of that, they'd have remembered it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. The ultimate sacrifice for us was marked by incense. And when we look back to the temple in Exodus 30 and we read about the atonement and what was necessary when the lambs were slain and the people, the, the things, not the people, the animals were sacrificed, incense was always involved. And here we have Jesus laying his life down for us on the cross and incense was involved. He would have smelt Sacrifice without incense is almost like mission without prayer. Sacrifice without incense is almost like mission without prayer. You see, as I alluded to earlier, that idea that we're called to give ourselves to the lost, to go to the broken, the least, the last, to pour our lives out for them, that's sacrificial. But it's almost like without the incense, it becomes hard work. It's like, I don't know, it's even like in pastoral ministry where, or you're helping others. You, when you get on a plane, it says, uh, before you put anyone else's mask on, put your own mask on first. And we need to learn to pray, to worship, so that you know, we breathe him in so that we can breathe him out. This interchange of, you know, coming to him and worshipping and praying, but then that leads to sacrifice. So if our prayers don't eventually point us out to the lost and to the broken, I sometimes worry about that. 
It can't be a truly introverted faith that we're called to, although I am occasionally introverted. I'm an ambivert, by the way. So, I, no, I like being with people, but I like my own time. I love traveling on my own, don't really want to talk to anyone. You know, like 12 hours on a plane, it's fine. Just me, you know, me time. But, you know, it's not purely an introverted faith that when we spend time with Jesus, there has to be this moment where we carry it out to those around us. In this light of this sacrifice, we worship, but we also become a smell. <laughs> it's very strange, isn't it? My wife, Tracy, who you met last year, she was, uh, we were in Ibiza. I'll explain the context that we would pray for an hour, then we would walk the streets for an hour. We would spit the team down the middle here, so you lot would go out for an hour, you lot would stay in the prayer room for an hour, and would swap over. No one was allowed to say, hey, I don't do that prayer stuff, I only do evangelism. And no one was allowed to say, I don't do evangelism, I'm just gonna stay here and be a prayer missionary. Right, it needed, you needed to do both, because that's our faith. We breathe in, we breathe out. This is, this is the way it is. So you're an hour in the prayer room, an hour out on the street. An hour in the prayer room, an hour out on the street. Switching over all, all night long from maybe midnight till six in the morning. Seeing all sorts of wild and wonderful things. Dealing with people who had drunk too much, people who had smoked too much, people who had taken drugs, all sorts of crazy stuff. Absolutely crazy. And you'd be cleaning them up, taking them home. Because how often, right, just, just as, a, as a byword there, how often does Jesus clean me up and take me home? So often. So it was a ministry of grace, a ministry of mercy, loving others, you know, being Jesus to others. And that's, so Tracy, one night, she's there in the prayer room, and she's out on the street the next hour, and this guy comes running up to her and says, have you come to save my soul? It's an interesting opener, if I'm honest. <laughs> now, Tracy, uh, she's clever, so she said, why would you say that? That's her first response, because I think it's a good response. Why would you say that? And he said, my friend John, he's a Christian and you look just like him. Now, <laughs> I wish I had a photo, but you, Tracy does not look like a man, okay? She does not, she, she's definitely not, she's, you've met her. She's definitely not manly in any way. And so you, or maybe his friend John was effeminate, I don't know, but no, that wasn't it. My friend John, he's a Christian and you look just like him. And, and she was able to have this whole conversation and able to pray with this guy. Why was that? Well, there was something of being in the presence of God, worshiping, sending the incense up. There was almost this divine exchange that takes place whereby we're out on the street. And it says in Romans 2, 14 to 16, we are the aroma of Christ. That people notice something that comes from us when we spend time with him. Another evening, she was praying with a whole load, Tracy was praying with a whole load of women who were on a hen do. You have them, don't you? And they were all dressed up as devil horns, right? They had devil horns. And they said, oh, can we pray for the lady who's getting married? And they said, oh, yeah, pray for her. So Tracy and Rachel, another girl, they pray for this young lady who's about to get married. And she starts to cry. And all her friends go, what have you done making her cry? And the girl who's crying says this, it's not them, it's God in them. It's not them, it's God in them. And you see, we carry something that happens when we're in that place of worship and that place of prayer that naturally overflows out of us to others. That people start to see and experience something of Jesus in us as we spend time with him. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to 16 says this, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession 
And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Isn't that beautiful? We are the aroma of Christ. Does God smell? He smells, but we are his aroma. We are the ones who smell of him, who evoke an ancient memory, who call something out in people that they don't quite know what it is, and they sense that there's something different. Because as I said at the beginning, if smell is the thing that you can have in the womb, imagine that sense of something deep in creation where they can somehow just sense that you're carrying something of the maker of it all on your life. And we are given this beautiful opportunity to express that and pray for others as we get involved in this divine exchange of being with him, him touching us and us touching the world out around us. What's beautiful about this Corinthian scripture is that Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Do you know that Paul was clever? Obviously you do know that Paul, the apostle Paul was clever. When a Roman general had conquered a new land, not an old land, a new land, he came back and he, parade, he paraded in what they called a triumph. Prisoners were displayed, plunder was shown, he was pulled on a chariot, he had a crown of Jupiter kind of hovering over his head on a stick, priests offered incense and the army followed behind him. And all the time the army would chant, lo triumphe, lo triumphe, which was basically translated, hail triumphant, hail triumphant. And they went in this triumphant procession. And it was kind of like a once in a lifetime thing for most Roman citizens, they would have seen that. And some of the people were prisoners, So for, and there was incense burnt by the priests as they marched through the streets and the prisoners were thinking that's the smell of death and there were others who were thinking that's the smell of life because that's the smell of the growing Roman Empire and Paul takes this piece of theater and history and he says Christ leads us in a triumphal procession it's beautiful and the scent is one of love and grace and mercy, for we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We're called to smell sweet, not just for our own brothers and sisters, but for the world that he has placed us in. We are part of Christ's triumphal procession, and through us his fragrance is diffused throughout the earth. It's the joy of being his bride. It's the joy of being part of his church. It's the joy of prayer that we offer incense, but weirdly we become it. We spread it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a bonny thing that we could somehow offer this smell to others. Malachi 1 verse 11 says this, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure, and it will be a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Imagine that in every place there would be us, the bearers of incense, smelling of him, revealing him to others, the call not only to stay and enjoy the worship and stay and enjoy the prayer, but to be him out to the world around us is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. God smells 
He takes pleasure in us. We are pleasant aromas. When we worship and pray, this is a pleasing aroma to God. Pray, by the way, not play. I mean, play, you can't play as well. We smell. We are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ. Can I just say this one thing, though, that sometimes perfume loses its strength. We need to be regularly involved in worship and prayer, and we need to be regularly involved in spreading that smell. I, was I right, Terry? Were you singing an, uh, that song, Night and Day? That, have you got that lined up? Ah, oh, you're an angel. <laughs> but I just, I just, I just want to call us once again to be the aroma of Christ. I wanted to set us free from the burden of thinking it's a five-step kind of thing of telling our testimony to someone. It's just actually getting out there and smelling. Um, by that, I mean by being kind, by being gracious. Of course, you're going to have to use your words. Of course, it's going to be challenging. Of course, you're going to have to offer to pray for people, and you're going to tell people that Jesus loves them. But there's something beautiful in us spreading his aroma around Melbourne, around this land. There's something beautiful about the bride that smells good. And, and you're it. There's no one else. You're it. And God loves it. He loves you. He loves your prayers. He loves your worship. And he loves it when you carry that scent out into a broken world that so desperately needs him. So I want to pray if that's okay. And Yeah, I'm just trying to figure where to land that. I don't really want to challenge you really heavy because I just think there's something beautiful. I think it'll come as we worship if that's okay. We've got a song at the end, yeah, sorry. If we, we'll sing a song at the end, but I just, I, just, I just feel that God wants to come and do a sort of divine thing in each one of us. So, Father, <laughs> you do smell. You smell us. Lord, may we be a pleasing fragrance to you. Lord, I want to pray for anyone in this room right now who feels like their passion for you has faded, that the perfume's kind of wearing off. Lord, I pray that you would come and you would reignite a passion for you this morning. Lord, for those of us that are desperate to see your kingdom come, we all are, who are desperate to share you with others, Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you more, to allow your fragrance to emanate from us to those around us. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.